0: More about the kingdom, and I've got enough for two weeks, so uh, I'll be up here twice in a row, and we'll see how far we get into this particular one this week. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite books, Daniel, and there's a lot about kingdoms in Daniel, and we'll talk about the kingdoms in the kingdom and do some contrasts and see what Daniel was talking about. Daniel's a really good book that I like. If you're also, I'm going to, a little segue. If you're going to talk about the Bible, does it have any credibility? And Daniel talks about kingdoms that are going to come to be over about 500 years before they happen. And it's pretty explicit about what those kingdoms are. So, it's it's a pretty good book if you're, if you're talking to somebody and they're saying, well, what about the Bible? It gives a lot of credibility to say, you can see the prophecy that he has about the kingdoms and the kingdoms K to be hundreds of years before they happened. So, Daniel chapter 7. Did a little bit differently. Um, another comment about the book of Daniel. It goes through a succession of time and then it backs up midway through in chapter 7, and then it goes through it again. So it's a little bit hard unless you kind of got a road map to say, what, where am I? Where am I in time that he's talking about? Which kingdom is he talking about at that particular time? So in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, it's got a lot of great names in it too. Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there was before me the four winds of the heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from others, came up out of the sea. So this is, I'm going to ask my questions. Who's Belshazzar? Huh? King of Babylon. The king of Babylon. Um, Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He is the son of Nabonidus. He's the eldest son of Nabonidus. So you have three generations that that the book goes through. It starts with Nebuchadnezzar, and quite frankly, it ends with Belshazzar. And this is the first year of Belshazzar's reign as king. Now, there's a lot of debate. I'm going to go into history, so if you don't like history, you won't enjoy this very much. But Belshazzar and his father, Nabonidus, were co-regents for a while, father and son, for about six years. After about six years, Nabonidus decided to kind of go on vacation for about 10 years. He went to Tema, and he was Tema for about 10 years. So for the last, 15 years or so, 15 to 16 years, Belshazzar was the king during the reign of the last 15 or 16 years of Nabonidus, if that makes sense. So there's, a, there's an overlap there, and that's why you see in some of the history books there's that overlap is because Nabonidus let Belshazzar run everything, and he was in Tima, but he was in Tima for 10 years and then he came back at the very end. At the very end is when we have a switch in kingdoms. It's a little bit confusing. This is in the first year of Belshazzar. It would have been about 554, 554 years before uh, BC. So I kind of give you a little bit of a, of, of a context of where we are in this particular chapter. And it's chapter 7. Chapter 6. Which is what's confusing in chapter 5, but chapter 6 mostly, is talking about Daniel in the lion's den. So, and that happens during the next kingdom's reign. Okay, so it, it, like I said, it can be confusing unless you try to kind of unwrap it and say, where am I in time and which kingdom am I in? So we're in the Babylonian kingdom. We're in with the last king in the Babylonian kingdom. And this is Belshazzar. So, who had the dream or the vision? These are easy questions. Daniel, Daniel. okay. And I'll come back to that when I get to chapter two. If I had candy, I'd throw a piece at you. So how many great beasts were there? Four. Like I said, these are softball questions. So what's the greatest earthly kingdom at this time? Babylon. There's still the great Babylon. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood up on two, two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked and before me there was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of, the word, of a bird. The beast had four heads and, it, and was given authority to rule." So what kind of beasts are, beasts are these? Weird, aren't they? Is anything like this? Well, the bear—the bear does exist, but uh, is anything, you know, a lion with wings? What does wings usually signify? Because they're metaphorical, huh? They can fly. They can—they can move fast. Okay. Um, The leopard. What's What's odd about it? It's four wings. And there's clues in here as to what those kingdoms were. The number of wings. Huh? And the number of heads. And the number of heads, true. Particularly on the leopard. After that, my vision, at night I looked. And there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening, very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from the former beast, and it had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there was before me another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So, what kind of beast is this and how does it differ? From the other three? Large teeth. Huh? Large teeth. Large teeth? What are the other three beasts? A lion, a bear, and a leopard. What kind of beast is this? It never said what it is. It's terrifying. It has big teeth, iron teeth. When we get to chapter two, remember the iron part of it and the teeth. How about the horns. What do horns usually signify? Kings, kingdoms, so it's, it's a powerful beast that he doesn't know what it is. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow and the hair of his head was like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were ablaze. <clears throat> A river fire fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands of thousand thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So who's the ancient of days? Everybody have their coffee this morning. <laughs> God, is. God is. Which God? Which part of God? God. The Father. What's the river? What do you think it is? come back to that so what is this scene daniel sees in his dream sounds like a judgment it's judgment where was satan thrown into the lake of fire which the river i believe of fire is flowing to. I've seen a lot of things as far as what that is, and there's a lot of ideas. But to me, it seems like that river is there, and those who are attending, the court was seated and the books were opened. What what book? What's the most important book that would be opened there? Book of Life. Didn't have anything else. So this is the scene We just talked about four kingdoms. And then Daniel sees this. And the other kingdoms are animals. And this is a scene with the Ancient of Days, with a person, or someone he recognizes as a person in his vision. So quite different in contrasting it to the four kingdoms that, that were represented by the four beasts he just saw in his vision, which is quite, quite disturbing for Daniel. Again, this is, this is about 15 years before the end of the Babylonian kingdom. Then I continued to watch because the boastful words of the horn were speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and thrown in the blazing fire. The other bees had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. So, who's the horn? And what's the horn doing?
1: This is, if this is a judgment scene, what's,
0: what's the horn doing? It's seeking. And remember, it was boastful. It was boastful against God. So who moved most likely is the horn? Same. Hey, what's he doing? You yes. I know what that person did. This person did that and they're like that. God's going to say, it's not in the book of life. And eventually he gets tired of that and he gets thrown into the lake of fire. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented to him, before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and kingdom, that all the peoples and nations of every man of, of men, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So he's just seen those beasts. He's just seen the scene as far as the judgment. And now he talks about who's the Son of Man. It's Jesus. Okay. And we just talked about who the Ancient of Days is. So you can see this. He's seeing the Son of Man in the Ancient of Days, in this vision. And it's all about the kingdom. What did the Ancient of Days give the Son of Man? And the Kingdom, okay. So it came from the Father to the Son. In this vision that he had. And the glory. The glory that came with being the King of the Kingdom. So what happens when creation ends? to the kingdom. Huh? It's eternal. It's a term. Won't be destroyed, can't be destroyed. The other ones, uh, they'll be around for a while, but all those will fade away. So there's a contrast between the kingdoms when it talks about kingdoms in Daniel chapter seven. It talks about kingdoms three times in the book of Daniel, and it's consistent as far as what the kingdoms are. It's kind of interesting, the question that Daniel asks. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people, the most high, will receive the kingdom and and will possess it forever. Yes, forever, and ever. So what did the four beasts represent? Kingdoms. Kingdoms, four kings, but four kingdoms. So who will receive the fifth kingdom? How is it different than the other four? I think I already talked about that, but Son of Man receives the fifth kingdom. And it's so different because it's eternal. The other other four kingdoms are successive. One has to go away for the next one to come in as a kingdom. But the fifth kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's different. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the 10 horns on its head and about the other horn which came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, his horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the agent of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So, which kingdom did Daniel want to know more about? Of the five. The fourth. I kind of would like to know about all five of them personally, and a little bit more. But he only asked about the fourth one. Why did he ask more about that one? It's more than the other yeah, and it was it was something that he couldn't identify. Too, he he, he knew God. I mean, if he'd been in captivity, for at this particular time would have been about 55 years. But he'd been blessed by God in that captivity in Babylon. So he knew about God. and the other kingdoms, the other three, well, there was an animal, and he'd already known about some of, what one of the kingdoms were. The other two, we'll get into chapter 8, where it's very specific about what those two kingdoms are. But here, he did touch on this one in chapter two, which like I said, we'll probably come back to next week. That fourth kingdom with the beast. That he doesn't know what it is. What is the horn fighting to possess? wants to take him with him, speaking out against God. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom which will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. So, you can kind of see the horns are representing kings or kingdoms or sub kingdoms, if you will, as far as how it's described. What kingdom in our history devoured the whole earth? Huh? Rome. Now, other people may say, well, what about China? The dynasties in China, what about Northern Europe? What about North America? What about South America? Perspective I have on that one. The whole book of Daniel is written around what's happening in Asia Minor. Specifically Judea. Judea and Israel. Because it's prophecy about the kingdom that comes in that part of the world. The known, if you will, civilized world. There were other, you know, the Mayans and everything that were in South America had some pretty sophisticated uh, capability, but they were pretty, pretty crude about things, but the part of the world that God f- seems to have focused on and considers the whole world is around the Mediterranean, and parts to the east and parts to the west, but pretty much that there. So when he talks about the whole world, it was Rome, and it wasn't until Rome that you went all the way west and all the way east when they conquered that part of the world. Up until that particular time, most everybody seemed to go east. Don't know why, but that's the way they seemed to go. So what kingdom followed the first three kingdoms based on this explanation? Rome, the Roman Empire. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion of the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven, will be given to the people of the saints of the Highest One. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions will serve and obey him. So the one that's interpreting for him kind of wraps it all up here at the very end and kind of puts it all in context to say, you need to understand in the end, that voice, that beast is gonna be subdued. So who speaks out against the Most High? You may have actors here on this earth, but who's the one who's really speaking out? The Satan. What will the one who speaks out seek to do? Change stuff. Say, don't believe what's, what's given to you is the word. He's not going to do that for you. Doubt, seeds of doubt, Change what's in there? Make it where it doesn't exist? I like that line in the uh, 25. They'll try to make alterations in times and in law. Right. You don't remember the right order, You don't know how it happened. You don't know who did that. Maybe, and it would be like that. You know, maybe you don't have a long time. Maybe you go forever. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. God doesn't love you. He just wants to manipulate you. And you see that when the, the, uh, the, I think it was a psalmist, it may may have been Solomon, when he wrote, those that call things that are good, evil, and those that call things that are evil, good. So what's gonna happen to the challenger? Won't survive it. They will lose. So what's being contrasted here? And this is the struggle between good and evil. And what are they? What are they? What are they vying for? Us. Us. This is the end of the matter. Daniel, I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So, did he get a specific answer to his question about the fourth beast? When he, when he talked, when he, when he was revealed in the dream about the first beast, dream, that was Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which we're going to get to next week, one of the kingdoms is specifically identified. In chapter eight, two of the kingdoms are specifically identified. But it never specifically identifies the fourth kingdom as to what it is. But you can look at it and say, it's Rome. But it's never really specifically pointed out as being Rome in the book. Why do you think he got a general answer versus a specific one? It's still in the future, at that point. It's, it's still in still the future, future, but he gave him specific answers on the other one. I don't know why he didn't give him to say it is, the, it is Roman or it is Rome, as he did with the other ones. But he didn't. So how satisfied was Daniel with the answer he got? He was very troubled. His face went pale, and he didn't tell anybody. So let's go into Chapter 8. This is three years later, in the third year of Belshazzar's reign. I did some research on this one, and sometimes they think this and what's in Chapter 4 are commensurate. Chapter 4 is the one about the handwriting on the wall with Belshazzar. Now, this didn't happen in the third year. This happened in about the twelfth year of Belshazzar's reign. Eleventh or twelfth year. So this is the third year. So in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. After the one that had already appeared to me. So this is, like I said, this is, well, two years later. And this is a follow-up to the the one that he'd had previously about the four beasts in in the five kingdoms. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal, Susa. Anybody know what Susa is? It's a summer palace for the Babylonian kingdom. I looked up and there was before me a ram with two horns standing beside the canal and its horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased, became great. So how close to the end of the Babylon empire do you think it is in the third of Belshazzar's reign it is? I kind of just explained it. How, How close do you think it is? to about nine years. That's important because when he has this vision, there's no vision about the Babylonian kingdom. It's about two beasts, only two beasts. I've talked about Susa. Where does he see his vision or his dream? It's where he's at. It's where he's at right now physically, in Susa. Susa is east of Babylon. And so that kind of makes sense because one of those kingdoms that's gonna be coming up starts from that general area. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west. The west of Susa is Europe. Susa is in Asia Minor. Crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing besides the canal, and it charged at it with great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat, the goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of the power, the large horn was broken off in its place. Four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Remember in the one in chapter seven, we just had a leopard which flew, and it had four heads and four wings. In this one, it has one horn that's broken off and four horns that come up. That four is common between the two of them. So what does Daniel next see in his vision? A really mad ram, right? First one was a goat and the next one's a ram. What do you think the horns represent? Kind of what they always represent. Kings or kingdoms or parts of a kingdom. Out of one of them came another horn, which started to small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up as a great commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and His sanctuary was thrown down. Because of the rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, And the truth was thrown to the ground. So what kingdom do you think was the small horn that grew represents? If you're not a history person, you don't know this one. I had to look this one up. This is from the ram. This is one of the horns, one of the small horns from the rams that grew up to be a very large one. We'll come back to that. While Daniel was watching the vision and trying to understand, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near to the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. When he was speaking to me, I was deep in sleep with my face on the ground. Then he touched me and raised raised me to my feet. Same question. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. Very specific about what that represents. Now what do we normally hear that as a kingdom? The Persian kingdom but it was the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus conquered Babylon, but um, Darius conquered Nineveh. And they were kind of co-regents. Now, the greater of the two, when you looked at the two horns that was on the goat, one horn was bigger than the other. Cyrus was the big horn, Darius was the smaller horn. Cyrus stayed to the east in the Babylonian kingdoms capital. Darius was put in Babylon when they took it. I said that one several times, didn't I? In the latter part of the reign, the the rebels will will become completely wicked. A fierce-looking king, a a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When he feels secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of prince. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. One thing I did want to point on here was the shaggy goat is the king of Greece. That kingdom is the Grecian kingdom, okay. And, we, and who was the one who established Greece as a world power? Alexander. Alexander the Great. And when he conquered the world, what happened to him? He died. And his four generals split up the kingdom into four pieces. The four. Remember, that four keeps coming through. Okay. So who is that that's reigning? Who is the person that he's talking about that's a master of intrigue and everything else like that? Who do you think it might be? This happens during the Grecian Empire. It happens after it's been split up. It happens a few centuries after it's been split up. It's Antiochus IV. What kind of devastation do you think Antiochus IV caused in the context of what it's talking about here? Antiochus IV was the king of the Seleucid Empire. The Seleucid Empire included Judea and the temple. There was an argument. Antiochus wanted to put someone in there to run the temple. And they disagreed. The Jews disagreed. They said, no, we don't want this. But he got mad. And he said, okay. And he brought pigs in and sacrificed them in the outer court of the temple. He took and boiled them down, the pigs, and took the broth and put it all over the scrolls that they used for worship. The eternal flame he extinguished in the temple. And then he made the priests and the Jewish leadership eat pork, which was forbidden for them to eat. So you can see the devastation he caused. Is He said, I'm going to make it where you won't even want to touch the scrolls. You won't even want to go to the temple because it's been sprinkled in pig's blood. And you defiled yourself because you ate pork. And I also quench the eternal flame. Who are the holy people Gable is refer- referring to at this time? The Jewish people who are still trying to follow God. So, what led Antiochus forward to the destruction? And is it celebrated? God took action, and it wasn't all through people. Now, it's celebrated today. It's called Hanukkah. It was the Maccabees and the rebellion against Antiochus. And what he did is why they rebelled. But, all this in orange is the Seleucid empire. This is the Ptolemaic kingdom, much smaller in green and then there's two kingdoms over here. So the four kings got this piece and this piece, and the other king got this piece. Remember it said it was the little horn that started little, and then grew to be huge? That's the Seleucid Empire. Judea is right here. Antiochus IV married a local Persian queen, or, or woman that was of that, her name was La- Laodiceus. It's kind of where you got Laodicea. It was named after her. All the Antiochs were named after Antiochus. So those are holdovers from the Seleucid Empire. They're very, very powerful. But because of the actions that he took, it got overthrown. But you've got the clues here to say, okay, I knew who the Second and the Third Kingdoms are. The Second Kingdom is the Persian kingdom. The third kingdom is the Grecian kingdom. Don't, heaven, heck out the fourth. And in chapter two, we find out it's the Babylonian kingdom is the first. So you get the succession of king- kingdoms. So this is chapter two. And we're about out of time. But this is kind of where history molds itself to what's in the scriptures. Because The Seleucid Empire doesn't come into existence until several hundred years from the time that Daniel saw it in his vision. The fact that it was so precise that it said, Okay, you've got the ram. The ram has one big horn. The big horn represented Alexander the Great. And it was broken off after he had gone over the whole world. And then four little horns came up. Well, the four little horns were his generals, where they split the kingdom up into four pieces. By the way, the one who was in charge of the Seleucid Kingdom was pretty, pretty rough. came up through the ranks. He was a man who had no land at all, and he was a rank-and-file soldier. And he moved up to be a general in Alexander the Great's army, but he still came from having nothing to being a king over most of the, uh, most of the world. So we're going to pick up in chapter 2 next week and then look at Isaiah and look at some in Micah to talk about more about kingdoms. And then we're going to go into the New Testament. But thanks for your attention.